Good evening. Welcome to St. James. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad uh, for the people who are watching on the live stream, I'm glad you're joining us as well. Last midweek Lent service, just a reminder, normal service is this Sunday. Next Wednesday, we will not be meeting for um, midweek Lent service. Instead, we'll meet on Thursday evening for Monday, Thursday, which will be a normal uh, worship service. We'll have communion. Friday, we'll do a Good Friday service uh, at 7 o'clock. That's going to be a tenebrae service, so it'll be the service of darkness that we've done the past several years, which is always kind of a, uh, it's actually personally my favorite service of the year. Um, I don't preach very long, and we just read the whole passion story from the Gospel of John, which is super moving. And then Easter Sunday, we'll have um, uh, resurrection services at 9 o'clock, and then at 10.30, there's going to be uh, a breakfast downstairs with an Easter egg hunt for the kids. So um, keep that in mind. That's uh, two Sundays from now, not this Sunday. This Sunday's Palm Sunday. All right, uh, go ahead and stand. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us, Lord, for it's evening, and the day is almost over. Let your light scatter the darkness and illumine your church. Joyous light of glory of the immortal Father, heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ. We've come to the setting of the sun and we look to the evening light. We sing to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy of being praised with pure voices forever. O Son of God, O giver of life, the universe proclaims your glory. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, for you are merciful and you love your whole creation. And we, your creatures, glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. From Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He's commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stay standing for the first hymn. Since 
Uh, the reading for the sermon is from uh, the end of Colossians 3 and the first verse of Colossians 1. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the last deadly sin that we're going to talk about uh, this Lent is the sin of sloth or laziness. The Bible is against laziness. The Bible says that laziness is wrong. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says that lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 18 verse 9 says, whoever is lazy in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Ecclesiastes verse 10, chapter 10 verse 18 says, through laziness the rafters sag. Because of idle hands the house leaks. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 11 and 12, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, <clears throat> not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So, sloth is wrong, laziness is wrong. Of course, it's complicated because there's a twin sin to laziness on the other side of laziness, which is uh, overworking. And these two things frequently go together. But you can argue that in our culture, you can argue that in our culture, overwork is more of a problem uh, than laziness. And so if I talk about tonight about how laziness is wrong, the danger is that I'm going to put pressure on people who struggle with overworking, that they're not even doing enough and to even work harder. If I preached against overwork, the danger would be that I would confirm some people in their laziness. What helps us, I think, is that uh, both of these, both overwork and, and laziness, come from the same foundational sin. I know they're opposites. 
but they actually come from the same foundational sin, and that is identifying ourselves with our work. When we make our work our identity, when we make our work our God, the temptation is either going to be to overwork and to really kind of double down and buy into identifying with our jobs or with our vocations, whatever those are. If we're not good at it, though, the temptation will be to despair and to abandon our work as something that's too too much for us, too troubling for us. This is the way idolatry always is. Idolatry either is going to lead to worshiping something other than the one true God is going to lead inevitably either to pharisaical self-righteousness or despair. And making an idol out of a work is no different. It either leads to overwork, and sometimes associated with pride, or to laziness, sometimes associated with despair. I'm going to preach, just a little commercial here, I'm working on a sermon series after Easter, probably a couple weeks after Easter, on Sabbath and what it means to fully embrace Sabbath rest. I'm not just talking about, you know, a day of the week. I'm talking about God's gift to us of not identifying ourselves with our work, but resting and trusting in Him. So if tonight you're troubled by this and you think, well, the solution is just to start working harder, um, that's not necessarily the solution. Sabbath is going to be the real solution. As always, the gospel is ultimately the real solution, finding our identity in Christ, knowing that God completely accepts us in Jesus Christ, will enable us to be hard workers without caving into the temptation to overwork, making our work our idol, or to fall in despair and underwork because we're just not very good at it. The gospel is really the only solution, which brings us to our reading for this week, Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. And I just wanted, this is, I, I don't have, this is, Totally not exhaustive. And in many ways, I feel guilty because this, this almost feels a little bit random to me. But if I could just give you from this text tonight just a few rough thoughts about what God says here about work, what the Bible's view of work is, and just three things that we can just, just glance at really quickly here in the text is that first, we don't need to work to please humans. The point of work is not to please humans. Paul says this a couple times. He says it in verse 22. Bond servants, and let me just make a real quick comment about that. Um, slavery is a thing in the Greco-Roman world. This is not race-based slavery. There's other reasons for slavery. Slavery is wrong now. It was wrong then. Paul didn't excuse slavery. He decided to undermine it from the inside out. But most commentators say there is some parallels here between what Paul is encouraging slaves to do in relationship to their masters and what we can be encouraged to do in relationship to our bosses or to our jobs. Bond servants, verse 22. Obey in everything those that are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. You don't work in order to please people. You don't work hard for your boss or for your job in order to please your boss or your job. He says the same thing down in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You don't work for human beings. There's two dangers to working for human beings. One danger is, is that by working for another person, you put them in the place of God. If I can make that person happy, I'll be happy. I'll know I'm doing a good job if I can satisfy my boss or I can satisfy you know, whoever it is that you're trying to make happy with your work. Their happiness is the source of your happiness. Their approval is the source of your sense of worth. You make sacrifices in order to please them. This is idolatrous. This person is always going to let you down. There's no boss in the world. There's no teacher in the world. There's no spouse in the world that is going to be constantly 
satisfied with the work that you do for them. It's a weight that they can't carry and will definitely lead to despair and quite possibly laziness. Danger number two is working to make ourselves happy, identifying with our work in a way which puts our work in the position of God. If I'm successful at work, I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm whole. Some of you have noticed, I'm sure you have, that successful people sometimes tend to have an inflated sense of self-worth, tend to feel like they're more important, that their success, they probably wouldn't say it like this, but the subtext is that their success entitles them to a certain amount of prestige, a certain amount of like uh, cultural acclaim. The problem with this, though, is that this self-importance frequently comes from an inflated sense of the importance of their own work. When people feel like the thing that they do is super important, it leads to pride. In fact, this comes out in my house when I grouse at Angela because she doesn't understand how hard I'm working. When she doesn't get it, that I'm really putting it. What's behind that is this notion that, Angela, I'm an extremely important person, and you don't truly respect enough the importance of everything that I do. That comes out when I grouse at her about that. I've identified myself with my work to such an extent that when she doesn't recognize my work, it angers me or it ticks me off a little bit. Now, what does this have to do with sloth? Again, there's two options for us when our idols fail us. Double down and work harder or laziness. But this text reminds us that we're not really working for any humans. As Christians, we're not working even for our bosses. In fact, one of the ways that this pops out to you is where he says, again, uh, to to quote verse 22, uh, do not obey your masters by way of eye service as people pleasers. One of the reasons why is because your masters are also on your team serving the one true master. Look at chapter four, verse one. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Your bosses weren't put there to be served. Your boss's job is to serve God in the position that he's put her or him. The same exact job that you have wherever you're at. You're both working on the same team. You might have different roles. In fact, most of you know this. For most of your life, you're going to have a boss over you and you'll have employees under you. You are all working or you should be working on the same team. Nobody's there to be pleased with your work. Our work is to be done with reference to God. We're still serving others. Verse 22, after all, says bond servants obey in everything. We're to obey our bosses. We're to serve other people. I'm to serve you guys with my work. I'm to serve my bosses with my work. I'm to serve Angela and my kids with my work. But I'm to do that because I'm ultimately oriented towards God. And by loving and serving God, I end up serving them. Not by making you guys or my family or my bosses the idol. That will definitely crush me and almost certainly lead to laziness. Real quick comment about that. I find myself, um, this is why I say that overwork and laziness, maybe you're not like this. I'm totally like this. They come from the same foundational sin. The way I can say this from experience is because if you know me at all, Angela will tell you, I alternate between marathon sessions of hard, hard work and crash out sessions of utter embarrassing laziness. And I alternate back and forth between those two. I pour myself into my work and I drain myself because I'm trying to get meaning from my work and I'm not getting it from God and that drains me and I've got to recoup by crashing out and being lazy. Now, I am not arguing against rest. Again, come back for the Sabbath series. 
God gives us a definite ris- a rhythm of work and rest in his word so that we can rejoice primarily in his work and be able to rest in the work that he's done for us and be able to use our work as a way to worship and serve him. But definitely this, this cycle of killing yourself with work and then crashing out with laziness and lethargy is not biblical and could be. There are times, of course, for a lot of you in your jobs when that's inevitable. You might have a session of time where you crazy work and then you need to recoup. I'm not saying that that's not ever going to happen, but it could be, not is, but it could be a symptom that we've turned work into an idol. Our work is not just to be not done towards men, it's actually to be done as an act of worship towards God. All of you in your jobs, whether you get paid money for it or you don't, for those of you who have kids at home and you're not working, for those of you who go to school for a living, all of us, we can do what God has called us to do as an act of worship to him. Another reminder, not to separate our lives into church life where we do worship and love God and think about the commandments and praise him for his gospel. And then we have normal life where we kind of do what we do. Those two things should never, ever be separated. All of life is an act of worship or should be for the Christian. Paul brings this out in verse 22 where he says, "Uh, you're not to serve your masters by way of eye service as people pleasers, but two things here. With sincerity of heart, which means a singleness of purpose, not for mixed motives, he means. The word is actually singleness there. Not to orient our work slightly towards others and a little bit towards God, but to devote it completely to the Lord. Fearing the Lord is the next thing he says. Well, how can you go to work or go to school or take care of your family fearing the Lord? What does that mean? Douglas Moo commenting on this verse says that the fear of the Lord here is a sense of awe combined with submission to God's will. Submission to the calling that God has given you combined with a sense of awe that what I'm doing is before the face of God. That I don't, I'm not just in God's presence at church or when I'm having my devotions or when, when I'm driving in my car singing praise songs. That I am before God all the time. All of life is worshipped. This, this sense of fear of the Lord as being one of worship comes out really interestingly in this, what I'm about to tell you next. There's a famous verse in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, where Moses tells the people of Israel, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus quotes this verse to Satan when he's being tempted in Matthew 4. But when Jesus quotes the verse, he doesn't say, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus clearly sees fearing the Lord as a synonym with worshiping the Lord and serving him only. We're not to serve anybody else. We're to serve God only. And when we do, it is fearing him, as Paul says in Colossians 3, or as Jesus says in Matthew 4, it's worshiping him, serving God and not other people, fearing God and no one else, worshiping God and no one else. They're all tied up together. And when you go to your place of employment or when you start working at home or when you sit down to do your homework at night, fearing the Lord, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, all go hand in hand for the Christian. They all go together. Working in Jesus' name is an act of worship. When you're doing what God called you to do in Jesus' name, you are worshiping him. The monk rises at midnight to pray the office. The mom rises at midnight to feed the baby, and they both meet God. All of life is worship. Finally, what's our motivation? Verse 24 Our work is rewarded by God, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You don't work in order to be rewarded by men. Of course, some of you work 
in order to get a paycheck. Some of you work because the laundry just has to get done. Some of you work because you need to get a good grade in this class. But none of that work is ultimately done with reference to other human beings. It's done before the face of and in the presence of Almighty God, and he's the one who rewards it, not the teacher who gives out the grade, not the HR department that sticks the, 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 the paycheck in your uh, bank account every week, not the husband who comes home or the kids who say, thanks for making dinner. That's not where we ultimately get our paycheck, although I hope all those things happen. We ultimately get rewarded by God. But check out the language in this verse. Are we getting rewarded by God as wages for the work that we do for God? No, that's not the language that Paul uses. Instead, he says in verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. The reward that we get for God, from God for worshiping, serving, loving God is our inheritance. Do you see what that means? It's already yours. If you own the business and you tell your son, hey, I need you to do this work for me, are you telling him that so that he will get paid? You're telling him that because the whole place is his. And he's not working for it in order to get your approval. You're his father. He already has it. He's not doing it in order to earn a paycheck. The whole place belongs to him. It's his forever and ever. And when God tells us, work with reference to me, he's saying, work with reference to me because you don't need to earn anything. I've already earned it for you. My son, Jesus, has died on the cross, risen from the grave, and won the whole universe. He now owns the whole thing. And you get to love and serve and worship me by working in my kingdom, not because you need to earn it, but because I've already given it to you. It's free. It's yours. All of our work should be done in reference to God because all of our work is a gift of grace. It's something that he gives us and says, the whole world is yours. Participate in it in your vocation. Let's stand and pray and sing the Magnificat together.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For Matt Harrison and Timothy Shar for all pastors in Christ, for all servants of the church, and for all the people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For President Biden, Governor Pritzker, Mayor Marcus, for all public servants, for the government and those who protect us, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people here present who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth, and for peaceful times. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, and need. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for the faithful who've gone before us and are with Christ. Let us give thanks to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints. Let us commend ourselves, one another, and our whole life to Christ our Lord. To you, O Lord, O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Amen.